This is the Diaspora Dialogues podcast. My name is Helen Walsh, and I'm the president of Diaspora Dialogues. DD supports emerging writers to turn their craft into the career. And in doing so, we hold seminars and public events right across the country. This first episode we recorded in Winnipeg, and it looks at how to pitch a publisher or an agent. It's a really inside baseball, no-holds-barred conversation by some of the top agents and publishers in the country. You're really going to want to listen to this if you're a first-time writer or you're a writer looking to make the leap to the next level. The sound recording is not like it was recorded in a studio because it really was an informal conversation, which is why you get so many great tips. But we really want to bring this to you anyway. Right now, I'm going to introduce the three speakers that we have today. Uh, the first one is printed, I have. Uh, Janice Paulson is associate publisher of Turnstone Press. You, you may know everybody in the That's room, me. right? Oh, well, I know some faces, not every. There's some new ones. It's a bit odd to have yep. the Torontonian using the Winnipegger to the other Winnipeggers. <laughs> um, Turnstone, of course, is well known right across the country as Manitoba's uh, one of most, well, one of Manitoba's most respected publishers. Um, certainly has launched the career of many, many Manitoba writers over mm-hmm. the last four decades. Associate publisher, he oversees every aspect of the press from acquisitions to production. In his time at Turnstone, he has seen the evolution of the Canadian writing scene from digitization, regionalization, copyright, and more. Jameis has served as an adjudicator for several awards and granting programs and is past president of the Association of Manitoba Book Publishers. Mm-hmm. Prior to coming to, to Turnstone, he worked with the Manitoba Writers Guild, and we're very grateful for their support as we uh, set up our program in the last few months, uh, for seven years, and developed a strong appreciation of the many challenges writers face. So thank you, James, for being here. Marilyn Bitterman is uh, with Transatlantic Literary Agency, one of the big literary agencies in Canada. Marilyn, you want to put up your hand? Uh, is with the Transatlantic Literary Agency. Uh, she, before that, had her own agency and was a consultant. Before that, she was at McClellan and Stewart. Most recently, as Vice President of Director of Rights and Contracts, she is a practicing lawyer, also by trade. Uh, at MS, she handled the international rights for many authors, including Leonard Cohen, Alistair MacLeod, and Malentian. Next to her, we have Deborah Sun de la Cruz. She is an assistant editor at Penguin Canada, which of course is part of the big uh, Penguin Random House uh, conglomerate. She's thrilled to be publishing books such as uh, the Booker-nominated dystopia The Water Cure by Sophie McKintosh and What Red Was by Rosie Price. She also works on accessible novels and is excited about Robert Hillman's Tale of Love and Forgiveness, the the bookshop of the broken hearted. So please give a a warm welcome to all three and and we'll start off with James. Oh, with me? Yes. Oh, no, Marilyn. We're starting off. Okay. We're starting off with the agents, and then we're moving. I, 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 thought, I thought I was kind of like in a sandwich type okay. of thing. Yes, so. you are. <laughs> First of all, I want to say thank you for having me. I greatly admire the work of Diaspora Dialogues, and I'm really happy to contribute to its efforts. They do wonderful, wonderful work, and I think the uh, notion of expanding across the country, starting with Winnipeg, is very, very exciting indeed. So thank you for having me. So uh, I'm going to talk about what I see as my role, just a little bit, and and what I'm looking for as an agent. So I'm looking for clients who are right for me. 
And what's right for me is, firstly, on a practical level, people who can follow instructions. So on every agent's website, you will see instructions on submission. And you should follow them to a T. So if someone says they don't consider science fiction, don't send them your science fiction manuscript. If someone says they are closed to queries, and we can talk a little bit about what that means, they're not taking anybody except on referral, you can write to them, but chances are you may not even receive a reply, or you may get a very quick, not for me, thanks. Um, clients whose expectations are realistic. We live in very <laughs> tricky times in book publishing. It's extremely difficult to get placed, mm -hmm. even to get placed with um, uh, I mean, a, a major publisher is, is, is very aspirational. I, even with a smaller publisher, it's very, very difficult. So if somebody says it's Giller Prize or die, I'm going to go running in the other direction. <laughs> okay. Um, it has to be a good fit. It's like any other relationship. It has to be a good fit for both parties. And sometimes you just get a sense for whatever reason, that it isn't. I can give you, I'll give you a recent example of mine. Um, somebody it came in by referral, the gentleman was a very, very good writer, and the work was extraordinarily violent, to the point where I thought, okay, I think I'm gonna need trauma counseling if I take this gentleman on. I wasn't comfortable with it, and uh, you know, there was also a political element to it. it. To me, verged on using that violence for entertainment, which was something else I wasn't comfortable with. So for those reasons, even though the writing was very, very good, I, I turned that gentleman down. So all to say that it has to be a good fit. Now what am I doing in trying to find clients? I am a curator for publishers. That's what I do. They depend on me to find them stuff they want to publish. Now, is the connection between works of merit and what publishers want to publish, a complete fit? No, it isn't. So sometimes you will find work that is very, very good, but for one reason or another, it's not what publishers want to publish. And I, in that case, will have to say that in my professional opinion, I can't take this on because I don't think it's something that publishers want to publish. Now, what might that be? Deborah and I were just talking about historical fiction. Historical fiction right now is very hard to place. Why? There are trends in book publishing. It's, you know, kind of like the stock market. You don't really know why these things develop or why something's in or why something's out. But it's a reality that we have to address. And even though I may love historical fiction and come across something that I think is very, very well written if the setting is obscure. World War I and World War II always will work. But if it's something more obscure than that in the state civil war, but if it's something more obscure than that, or for whatever reason my publishing got to say, you know what, I can't sell this. It's really good, but I can't sell it. So it's my job to curate in that fashion. And it's, sometimes it's heartbreaking because you can, and this happened to me recently, I had a young fellow who's a brilliant writer, but can I have 100% of my list? That's, my taste does skew very experiment, well, not experimental, but let's say edgy and literary, but can I have 100% of my client list made out of writers, made up of writers like that? No, I can't. 
because number one, I'd always be competing against my, myself. My own clients would be competing against one another for spaces in those publishing um, programs. And um, there's only a certain amount, a certain number of places for those kinds of work. Okay, I think I'll stop there. I could go on. Well, it, but you'll have the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So get, think of all your questions right now while we uh, while we go to Dennis. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Helen, for uh, for bringing uh, DD out to Winnipeg. So it's really nice to uh, to go ahead and be able to have you bring in some wonderful, wonderfully talented uh, publishing professionals to kind of share their knowledge with all of us and. I'm really happy to be able to uh, to chat with you guys about what's happening here locally in uh, in Winnipeg. Um, Turnstone's uh, been around for 40 years, um, and we published uh, got the careers going of a lot of um, prominent uh, Manitoba Winnipeg writers, um, and uh, I think you know it, I will kind of echo uh, what Marilyn was saying about realistic expectations. What exactly does Turnstone look for? Um, looking for people who who really are striving to be professionals, uh, that, it's not, um, that it's not necessarily um, uh, a hobby. Um, so, you know, and part of that is that realistic expectation. Um, if, you're, if you're looking to be a professional writer, um, you will understand the kind of cruel vicissitudes uh, that the industry has for all of us. And, um, and you know, be able to temper, you know, what what you see for yourself and potential, um, you know, and also be ready for the world to kind of completely open up for you because publishing is kind of that type of endeavor where um, it can be, you know, sometimes disappointing and sometimes it can completely surprise you. Um, I think, you know, uh, everyone here who's been in publishing will probably go ahead and uh, know that sometimes you may not think there will be a, a book that will take off and for some reason, it just goes. And the ones that you've kind of, you know, you almost bet the farm on, this is gonna be a surefire um, uh, winner, just does not find any traction. Um, as a small press, um, Turnstone publishes about eight to 12 books a year, um, which is, I think, pales in comparison to what Random House uh, Penguin would do. Um, but we're based here in Winnipeg. And, you know, even though we only publish eight to 12, we still receive, anywhere between 500 to 1,000 submissions a year. Um, so it's still challenging to kind of find space even on our list. Um, the, uh, as you know, what Turnstone specializes in is Manitobans, but we're not exclusively Manitobans. I mean, that's one of the, I think, common misconceptions of what Turnstone is, is that we're just a regional publisher. Um, we were founded to go ahead and, I guess, bring out a voice from Manitoba. And for all of you, that's a really great thing to hear because, I mean, uh, we are looking for writers from Manitoba and from the prairies, uh, but that's not our, our only list. We, you know, we try and aim for kind of like a 50-50 split. Um, so half of our books that we publish are typically by Manitobans, and then the other half are from people outside the province. Um, and we publish people from Vancouver to, you know, Edmonton, Toronto, uh, Montreal, from the East Coast as well. Um, so even though we're a small regional press, uh, we're not limited regionally in terms of our reach. Um, we go ahead and our program isn't as large as some of the large presses, but we have to go ahead and do the same work. 
So we have a editor uh, rigorous editorial process that all of uh, you writers who work with us have to go through. Um, you work with editors and go through many passes until you're completely sick of looking at the manuscript. Um, and then in terms of marketing and sales, we do you know a lot of the same work um, that a large press does. We have like national sales uh, representatives and we're all trying to do the same thing, which is do best by the books that we've published and get the books in front of as many people as possible because we're like you, we love books. And the most gratifying thing uh, possible is to go ahead and make sure that as many people read the books that we publish to read, you know, the author's work. And I mean, to be honest, we all recede into the back as publishers. Um, you guys look to us to go ahead and um, to make those choices um, and to hopefully select you and to represent your work. And um, as, as Helen mentioned, I work for the Manitoba Writers Guild and I know um, how dear um, those, those words are to you, how much you've labored over all those words. And so when um, a manuscript is submitted to Turnstone, uh, we want to treat it with the same level of care that um, you have put into it and try and go ahead and get it out to as many people. Uh, in terms of you know, where Turnstone fits in the ecosystem, we're often uh, a first step. Um, for many people. Uh, typically, you know, if you've been working um, on your writing career and you're um, getting, you know, um, uh, uh, getting to work with, you know, professionals and having it workshopped or uh, getting grants um, or getting published with small magazines um, like Prairie Fire Magazine or um, Contemporary Verse 2 um, uh, or any of the other um, national magazines across the country, um, that's often how you begin building yourself a, a writing resume um, to go and show that the work that you've written is actually um, has been selected by others, that it's you know of note. And we always look at that when we're when we're looking at someone's writing credentials. We do go ahead and we're looking at your writing, but we're also looking at how you've actually you're building your career as a writer. Um, and um, I guess sometimes you know when it comes to measuring two books of equal quality um, in terms of our own, our own estimate. Um, if we feel that they're, they have the same pull on our, our uh, editorial vision, uh, on, our, on our hearts, um, on our passions, um, we'll then start looking at what has, what's the activity of the writer been? Um, how are they active in the community? Um, are they working to be a professional? And that may tip um, some of our, our decision-making process um, in terms of choosing that. Uh, what Turnstone publishes, as I said, we, we, it's not just, um, it's not regional. Uh, we, also, um, we also don't have like a, a specific genre that we cleave to. Um, because we, we do you know, look for Manitoba writers, we know that you don't all just write poetry. We know you don't just write fiction or nonfiction. So we have a pretty broad um, uh, set of genres we represent. We do a fair bit of poetry. Um, we do um, literary fiction, um, literary nonfiction, and we have a genre uh, line called Ravenstone where we do mysteries and thrillers as well. Um, but again, we only do eight to 12 books per year. So it's usually a couple of books of poetry, a couple 
you know, maybe four books, uh, four, four novels or uh, a book of short fiction and maybe a couple nonfiction projects. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're approaching any small press, any publisher really, it's good to get to know what they have been publishing um, and reading, you know, the works that they've, they've actually produced. That way you get a sense of the type of voice and the type of writing that that press um, likes, um, you know, and get a sense of the style um, of the books that they publish. If you like the books that they publish, you probably want to go ahead and you know try and get with uh, try and get your book with them. Um, I think great. I think that's probably it. I could probably go on as well. So. And just before I go to Deborah, I was thinking during your comments about the heavy lifting that that independent presses do. I was thinking of. Uh, uh, David Robertson, who is one of yes, your, yes. Mm -hmm. you know, who's a, a participant, but I think he's also now signing, he's coming out with Penguin yep. Canada, right? And so uh, I think the role that independent presses play in the development of an artist throughout their lifelong career, they may stay with that press or they may move on to another press. And, um, but, but without that early development from independent presses, their careers don't develop often. So, so Deborah, you want to make some comments? All right. And hi everyone, Helen, Zalika, your organization is so important and it's been so great to get to know you. Um, I'll start by talking a bit about Penguin Random House um, and what I do. I've been an assistant editor there, I've worked there for six years, um, mostly in fiction, so what I'm looking for are new voices and um, sort of a nebulous ca category of books for millennials, so books for people in their 20s and 30s, fiction or nonfiction. Um, Penguin Random House, we're an international company, but we um, are Canadian operated, so we have an office in Toronto, uh, a lot of staff in Toronto, we publish around 500 books a year, and many of these are Canadian, so we have, we publish across a very wide range of topics. Something you might not know is that we have a lot of imprints under one group. Yeah. I work for the Penguin imprint. Um, we have McClellan Stewart, we have Doubleday, we have Knopf Random House, we have a cookbook line called Appetite, and we have a kids and YA line under Tundra. So there's just a lot of room to publish a lot of titles and very widely and very diversely. Um, and something you should keep in mind when approaching a company like ours is that your best bet is to go with an agent. I'm not discouraging you if you don't have an agent, it's just best for you if you do have an agent. And the reason why is because those manuscripts are at the top of our pile. Um, and if you don't have an agent, it's just gonna take much longer for us to get back to you. Um, and as Marilyn was saying, we have such close relationships with agents that they know, like they are your way of getting to know us. So they know who to pitch to, they know what we like. It's just, it's gonna make your life easier. Um, that being said, if you don't have an agent, there's some things you can do to just make your life easier and to put your best foot forward. So one of the number one things I'd recommend is mentorship and being a part of an organization or connecting with a group like Diaspora. Um, and it's valuable for so many reasons. Um, we work with organizations like Diaspora and um, you'll get to know authors, you'll get to know other writers. It's really, it's a community. And I think that's really important as a writer because the work you do is alone, but you need to connect with others. You need to have first readers. Um, and just, so what we do as an organization, graduates or alumni of the program, the long-form mentoring program, like Linda will be in six months. Uh, 
we then actively look at those manuscripts as Lika and I read them. If we think they're ready to be referred on, then we pitch them to pay to men. We pitch them to either agents or publishers on the writer's behalf. So we're a bit of a we're not an agent. We don't we don't take any money. We don't do any of that stuff. But but it's a just a one step referral for people who often don't have um, who don't have agent representation. So I, I don't know of other organizations like ours who do that. I think maybe the Humber School for Creative Writers also mm. does that. Informally. Informally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They used to have their own publishing house. Was it a publishing house? No, it was an they agency. They had an agency. Yeah. They yeah. folded. Yes, yeah. that's right. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I yeah. interrupted, but I just wanted to give oh, you yeah. background. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, I also participate on FOLD, so the Festival of Literary Diversity, I think in Brampton in Ontario. Um, and that was, I met a bunch of new writers and we had a back and forth and I helped them with their pitches. So it's just great to get involved at the community level. And then if you do have a mentor and they are an author, one of the suggestions I had was to get, if they like your work and they're a recognized name, get them to write a sentence for you that you can then send to me so that when I see your work, I see the name of a recognized author and that like, automatically it gets me excited. So there's no harm in just asking them if that's okay with them. Um, as Jim said, um, one of the most important things is to try to get published elsewhere on a small scale um, to boost your profile. So journals, magazines, they can be indie presses, they don't have to be the Globe and Mail. It's just important to get your work out there. Um, and it's important just to polish your work as much as possible. So you don't want to, we don't read things more than once. So if you submit once and it's not ready yet, uh, that's sort of your chance. So just put your best foot forward. Make sure your material at the beginning is very catchy. You don't want to hide your work at the end or in the middle. You want to put it up front so that you entice us right away. Got one more tip. Oh yeah, so if you don't have an agent, um, what agents are so great at is is pitching and having a pitch letter, but uh, if you don't have an agent, you can try to do a pitch letter yourself, and it's just a one to two page sort of cover letter where you talk about, you know, draw us in with a paragraph about yourself and your work, give us a synopsis of your book, uh, give us a short bio, and um, something publishing people really like is something called comparative titles. So it's uh, compare your work to something in the market. So no similar books, and let us know what you think your book is like. Um, I wouldn't go too aspirational. I wouldn't compare yourself to the best author in the world, even if you are. Um, so just be a bit realistic, and just give us a sense of who you are and what types of books, um, what type of book it is, and who your audience is, and that'll help us. Um, and let us know where you're from. So we want to publish Canadian content. Let us know. If you're comfortable with it, where you're born, where you live. If you have a social media profile, that's great too. Um, but keep it, I would say keep it to one or two pages. Um, and switching gears, I want to talk a bit about what Penguin Random House is doing to encourage diversity um, and diverse voices. And it's a topic I feel really strongly about. Um, and it's just been, what a great year it's been for diverse authors getting the attention they deserve. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking now about the Giller List, um, and not to go on too much about my colleagues or what we do, but uh, we have an author called Tanya Tagak on our list. Um, and she's an Inuit throat singer, 
and her book was long listed for the Giller Prize. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Um, and this is a book that defies categories. It's a mix of yes. poetry, prose, drawings, myth, reality. I'm really proud of it. I have another colleague who um, she has been, her author has been shortlisted for the Giller, and that book's called An Ocean of Minutes by Taylor um, and it's a dystopian novel, so who would have known that the dealer would embrace this too? Um, I think it's, it's signaling a change in what everyone is open to and what the landscape is. Um, and this book's really important because it's, it's about time travel and you know, going after, trying to find someone you love in the future, but it's also about um, showing up at a place where you have no status and you have no citizenship, and it really speaks to the issues of today. So. We're really proud of those works. Um, and I, there's a couple more titles I have to talk about just because. Um, <laughs> one of my other colleagues is the editor of Vivek Shreya's I'm Afraid of Men. And this is a manifesto of the trans girl experience, of a trans girl experience, and toxic masculinity imposed on someone from a young age. It's a book that we all really got behind. And it's also really unique because it's not a collection of essays, it's literally one essay. It's a tiny book that you can read in an hour, and it's, it's bold, it's the, the cover is bright, it's tiny, and it's just another shift in what we're doing and what audiences are embracing and something we're, we're really proud of. And, um, oh, and I, I wanna mention that this editor is specifically focusing on LGBTQ voices, on underrepresented voices, um, this is his mandate. This is what he wants to publish. Um, and lastly, I'd be doing a disservice to our company if I didn't tell you about a new imprint at PRH called Strange Light. Um, and Marilyn, I just please. placed something with them. Yay! <laughs> I'm, I don't work for Strange Light. I work in the company with these people, but I could not be more excited to talk about their line of books. Um, their mandate is to publish experimental, boundary-pushing books overlooked voices. They don't want anything that you can fit in a box. They want to push the boundaries. Um, and Strange Light was born of the online magazine Hazlitt, which was started in 2012 to develop new writers. So how amazing is it that now they have the ability to publish books as well? Um, and I'm just going to go over one book. They have so many already. But one book that really caught my eye from the beginning is um, it's gonna sound odd, but it's a fatness manifesto by a person you probably don't know called Anshuman Idam Seti. Um, and Anshuman is, how do I describe this? He was, he's South Asian, he was born in Kuwait. His family moved to Newfoundland. He's, uh, and this isn't me saying it, he is, he said that he's short, he's queer, he's fat. Um, and this is about, this is like a very sexy, approachable, funny book about the future of the fat body. And that, that gives you a sense of the types of things they're, they're publishing. Great, thank you, Deborah. It is, we have found certainly with Diaspora Dialogues that Penguin Random House of the three multinationals here, uh, is the receptive one to our authors and our, uh, our alumni, certainly, uh, Folks from PRH have come and done workshops like this with us. You personally have read many of the manuscripts that we've sent over. We've had people sign with PRH. Um, unlike you know the other two who are not 
I won't name them for the recording, uh, but who have not uh, been as open to Canadian titles and to uh, to diverse voices. Um, PRH has them, so thank you for being here with us. So now we open it up to questions. Um, keep in mind, we have a big table, and we have until 3.15, so, uh, but that's still a good 45 minutes. So who wants to ask for, yay, jump in. Jump yeah, in. just you uh, mentioned Vivek's editor was open to LGBT voices. What yes. was her name? Um, David Ross, and feel free to send it to me, and I can send it to him. Okay. Yeah, we can. We can. I think maybe the contact information is actually just online. I think everybody's contact information is online. But uh, but if you have problems finding it, then just um, just be in touch. And something to know about David too is that um, he his books are intersectional in the sense that uh, there's another book he's working on about a queer Muslim photographer. So that's sort of the angle he takes. So we have the lady in pink, and then we have Bonnie. Yeah, she had her hand up first. Oh, I was just going to uh, ask about like the number of agents in Canada. Are there more or less than there used to be? So about thirty-six, and uh, eighteen months ago, we started the Professional Association of Canadian Literary Agents Association. Yeah, um, really important work getting done about standards, best practices, um, and just getting together so that we have a voice um, with government and uh, for many, many reasons. It was a long time coming and uh, we're really getting off the ground. It's exciting. Um, so there's about 36 of us in Canada. There is a PACL website and the best way to find out, you know, who's a good agent and not all agents are the same, and, and expand a little bit about, you know, it has to be a good fit. Some people are looking for, let's say, a lot of editorial support, even though, as Deborah said, you should come to an agent just as you should come to a publisher with the best possible manuscript you can, mm -hmm. so it's as polished as possible. Um, where was I going with that? So some people want a lot of editorial support. Some people want a strong negotiator with a lot of inter international experience. There can be many, there are many, many different kinds of agents. We aren't all the same. Some of us have different strengths and different experiences. So um, ask around is the best. I th really think the best thing is to ask your fellow writers. Ask people who are represented if you have access to them. Ask Diaspora Dialogues because some of the clients uh, or uh, from Diaspora Dialogues are now represented, and I'm sure they would share their experiences with you. Yes, I'm several are with TLA. Let me just follow up with that, Bonnie, before. Uh, so one of the things when we were in the last few months developing this and working with the Writers Guild and others is that, as far as I understand, there are no literary agents based in the province of Manitoba. I found that hard to believe, but in fact, it is true. Um, so I don't know if that's an opportunity for somebody to be a literary agent in the province of Manitoba, or, I did want you to either now or later talk about um, about agents accepting submissions essentially from across the country, right? So it doesn't particularly matter where you live or doesn't. It really doesn't matter where you live. Um, many of us, we, we live in this big virtual world and it's, it's um, personally a great pleasure of mine to represent people from all over the country because it's a way I get to know the country um, and, and I've got two clients here and working on a book about a maritime 
very famous maritime painter right now that has got my head blowing up and you know and so I get you get into these stories that are it's so wonderful our country is so rich with story and it's a great pleasure to represent people from all over and no you don't have to be um, in the same province in the same country even at all because everything is online and we can zoom and Skype and use all the technology to get to know one another. And you were having dinner last night with a client you have here. Yes, and I will be actually meeting a client tonight whom I've never met before, and I, I sold her book, and so this is one of the great, you know, kind of happy happy times of, of being an agent, so. Hi, um, I have a question in regards to uh, experimental creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, hi. Hi. Um, with manuscripts, um, in terms of forwarding something, is there any preference as to whether it should be a completed manuscript that's forwarded, or if you have a uh, thorough book proposal with sample chapters and the research and that kind of thing to... It's, it's going to be the same answer, I think, agent to publisher, so I'll let publisher go. Nice. I'm, I have to go first. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> I prefer... I'll, Shall I? Are you sure? Okay, yeah, quickly. Um, I prefer full manuscripts for fiction because um, it, uh, it, if I want to keep reading, I can, and I want to see where it's going. There's only so much I can tell from 1,500 words. Then I have to see the shape, and I need more. But um, for nonfiction, nonfiction is sold on a different basis. It's sold on the basis of proposals. You don't need a full manuscript, and a proposal, that's a whole... How to write a proposal could take three, uh, we could take the rest of the session and some to talk about that. It's a, it's a different format. You have to address different questions. What's the readership? Why are, why are you writing this book? Who are you writing it for? Uh, what's the competition? What's the comparative titles? What's your background? Marketing, uh, social media platform, those kinds of things. And then some, sam some sample chapters and chapter outlines. That's a proposal in short. In terms of for Turnstone, um, we have an open submission policy. So in terms of, like we do, we have worked with agents in the past, and I believe we've worked with Transatlantic several times. Um, but you don't need to have a, an agent for small presses to typically go ahead and represent yourself. And um, quite often, uh, many of the people that we've published don't have agents, actually probably the majority of uh, authors. And those ones that started their careers, like David Bergen, Miriam Taves, um, uh, Lawrence Hill, uh, they all, uh, you know, basically just came off the street with a manuscript and put it in into the into our system where you know that 500 to 1,000 manuscripts we get a year, and they've gone on to great things. Um, in terms of sending a whole manuscript, we used to in the past because we uh, we're just making a transition. Ask for like you know almost physical submissions sent into us, but we're just moving to like digital and that. Because uh, we used to do like the good old fashioned, send us a paper with your proposal and all this stuff, we asked for just a sample always to save you from having to go ahead and send us a giant manuscript through the mail. But now that we're going digital, um, you know, send us what you have. Um, if you have a whole manuscript ready to go, don't hold back um, because it ends up becoming a two part process. If we get part of a, a submission and we like it, we need to go ahead and then ask for the rest. And um, it's nice to be able to get the, the whole piece right up front and be able to read to the end. I mean, we had one case where um, we loved the manuscript 
And then we asked for the second half of it, and suddenly it became a whole different book uh, right in the middle. So we were ready to almost sign it on that, on that original proposal. And afterwards, it's kind of like, well, if you can change the ending, then we're interested, <laughs> right? So it's good to get the whole manuscript. Self-publishing can be a, a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, um, for a small press, um, you know, if you, um, in terms of, you know, if you've self-published, then, you know, you've basically taken all the easy sales. And so you're kind of saying, okay, so I'm expecting you to go ahead and put in a whole ton of extra, you know, all the extra work type of thing, which we might be successful with, but usually a small press, I think, would pass on a self-published uh, re reprint of a book. Um, I mean, it has happened where, you know, some self-published books have been picked up by large presses and they've just, it's taken it to that whole uh, next level. Um, so it's not like a, um, uh, a hard and fast rule. Um, and I mean, in terms of your, your own, like your resume, um, you know, if you want to establish yourself as, you know, as a credible professional. If it's nonfiction, especially, I mean, you need to, you know, go and have yourself established as the voice um, for whatever you're representing. Um, and uh, I think, you know, if you've, you know, if you're, if you're being taken seriously as a self-publisher um, or you've self-published something and you are like a, considered to be a definitive voice, um, it may, it may help. Um, but it doesn't, you know, you have to be careful. It, don't despair if you don't find a publisher right off the bat and go automatically press the self-publishing button. Um, I've worked, when I worked at the Guild, I heard a lot of stories about people who had like boxes and boxes of books in their basement. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you really have to consider it. It's not exactly a, an easy job selling books and working with a, a publisher, small or large, um, or finding an agent is uh, your way to kind of uh, at low risk to yourself, um, you know, find a, a place for your book. Um, when you do self-publish, you got to do it all yourself. You got to pay the bills and uh, they can add up. The woman in the gray sweater there. Sorry to be pointing you out by your clothing, but... Uh... Um, yeah, I just had a quick question about finding an editor. 
So I've done my own self-editing already on the manuscript I've written, but I would like, because it's the first manuscript I've written, I'd like somebody with experience. Um, and I'm not sure how to go about finding the right fit for myself because I kind of write in prose. So I don't write in a regular style. So do you have any recommendations for... Yeah, I mean, would you be open to taking a course, a, a continuing ed course in writing, or going to the library and seeing? I know in Toronto you can go to the library and get paired with writers, yep. um, and you can look up their profiles ahead of time. So my partner did a couple of courses at the U of T continuing ed program, and he specifically chose certain writers because he liked their style. So I think that was one. That's one way to do it. Um, and if you don't want to go the formal way. Um, I'd encourage writers to just give their manuscripts to a friend who really likes to read. I mean, that helps. Um, and another thing, too, is there are freelance editors who and they just, you know, they've decided to go out, out of house and to do freelancing, and you can look up their profiles and they'll let you know what types of books they've worked on. And that's another way of pairing your taste with theirs. Yeah, lo I, locally, you know, there's the writer in residence at the Winnipeg, at the Millennium Library. That's uh, Jordan <laughs> Wheeler uh, right now. Uh, he's got a lot of experience, uh, especially with screenwriting and with prose. Um, so you might want to look him up. I do believe they also have some uh, some smaller um, uh, writer in residence programs at the University of Winnipeg and the University of Manitoba. So always kind of be keeping your eye out for those programs. Um, and then of course, there's the Manitoba Editors Association, mm -hmm. which has uh, the, uh, you know, an online listing of all the different freelancers that they have. So, you know, those are some different resources locally that you can kind of use to, uh, to find some people. Prairie Fire. Prairie Fire, yeah. One thing to think about is the difference, because we do with this a fair amount, the difference between mentorship and editing and what you're looking mm -hmm. for. So the mentorship is really about grappling with the, the big issues, keeping you on track, being able to pull apart the story and put it back together again. So it's really the, the, the formulation all the way to the point where you think you've taken this manuscript as far as you can, and then the editing is actually the nuts and bolts editing. And I don't mean copy editing, I still mean substantive editing, but they're two very different things. And sometimes we have alumni who come to the program and we'll either then maybe get them uh, an editor or they need to go through a second cycle of mentorship. So I think with your manuscript, you should really be, just be clear what you're looking for. Is it a, is it a mentorship? Because the writers and residencies and those folks will be or more on the mentorship, mentorship side. Yeah. If you want a substantive edit, you need to pay for it. And, and they don't necessarily come cheap, um, yeah. but they are, they are often a good investment. And sometimes publishing houses now ask you to do that on your own before they take your book. Kelly, can I comment on mm -hmm. that? Excuse Please. me, because it does come into the uh, process of, of taking on a client for an agent because the publishers are doing less and less editing. The standard is extremely high, and what I am expected to submit to the publishers is very has to be something that is already very, very polished. So oftentimes I might read something that a, a prospective client has brought in and then advise them to go to a freelance editor. And I have a whole roster of people whom I work with. Some are better at this and that, and I try to really pair prospective clients. And then I may say, you know, and it's tough. It's, it's not fair that before you're even going to be considered by a publisher, you're asking, you're being asked to fork out money to pay a freelancer. No, it's not fair. But is it a reality? Is it going to perhaps 
improve your chances? Maybe. There are no guarantees. And it it's not it's not great, but it's you know part of the system right now. And um, so an agent will sometimes advise you and can guide you to somebody who will do that work on a freelance basis and then perhaps agree to read it again after that work. Is that the same then for the small press as well? In or? terms of um, where, I mean, it, it varies. Uh, Turnstone has a pretty rigorous editorial process. So, I mean, you, you know, you get assigned with a, a, a substantive editor and then we usually go through, you know, that usually takes, you know, several months um, uh, to up to a year um, for someone to go and work through their substantive edits. And, um, and then we go through like three or four stages of proofreading and copy editing. And the, uh, Helen's right, you know exactly where you're at. And that's part of being a professional. You you know, like as you start to explore, if you're new to this, you'll start to understand the difference between a substantive edit, which is looking at the big building blocks yeah. of writing, um, and then you know also to being able to evaluate where you are. If you said you self-edited, so um, you know, I, I guess in terms of uh, your own process, you've written it yourself. Are you feeling like you're just kind of isolated at the particular moment, looking for someone to give you some advice on the book, or are you actually looking for someone to tell you how you're your sentence structure is and, you know, um, that well, type of stuff. Um, I really think I need the mentorship because I don't even understand the reason why I came today is I joined the Writers Guild recently and I've been seeking information on the process. That's good. I didn't understand the process, right? And, you know, all So you probably want to look into the, the Sheldon Oberman Emerging Writers Mentor Program as well. Okay. That, I think, is through the Manitoba Writers Guild as well. That's it's another... Really, another I was, it's very good. Yeah. So you'll be paired with typically an experienced okay. author who will go ahead and be that, give that kind of, be that sounding board to help you shape, shape the story. And that's kind of, that's substantive editing. That's shaping the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a question. Yeah, because I do want to make sure everybody gets a chance around okay. the table. Yeah. So this is maybe to Penguin about the, the, the strange light for like the intersectional piece. I'm glad you talked about intersectionality. Um, I'm definitely looking for the mentorship process. I've been doing workshops for like 20 years on culture change, changing your story. And my own, based on my own thing, you know, I came to this country as a born again evangelical Christian and now I'm a queer Jew. So there has been an arc in that story. I've, you know, embraced my own racism and my own homophobia and my own classism and sexism that was taught to me by generations of immigrants. I am the son of immigrants who have the sons of immigrants, our family have benefited greatly from colonization in many ways, shapes, or form. So one of my challenges is trying to find what genre, right? Because sort of the manuscript I'm working on is sort of a self-development piece, but it's also my story woven in and out and what people have always resonated to and what he is saying, you have to write this down, you have to write this down, you have to write this down. For a long time, I was like, no, 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 not writing anything. And then I am. So where where would you, you find that piece, like that intersectional piece, you know, being able to well, it's semi-autobiographical, but it's also self-development, and it's also about intersectionality, but it's also a, a sort of a how-to book, and maybe some insight from industry <coughs> professionals on navigating that, that labyrinth, because one of the complexities of our modern world is that we do not have single-issue lives, right? Yet we're often pushed into a single-issue publication. And so that's the problem, is that if you're wanting new voices and new lenses, part of it is going, oh, we're not a single-issue person. It's not just a feminist piece. It's not just a queer piece. It's a, it's a life piece. Mm -hmm. so that's this sort is of, where the comparators become very exactly. important. Yeah. 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 
there. So do, yeah. you, do you guys, three of you, want to take a stab at that? I, I think the, pro the problem, and it, I think it's breaking down, and Vivek's book is a really good example of that, um, where it's, it's, um, it's about categories, and it's about slots in publishing programs. So we want one memoir in this season, and we want one nonfiction book about politics, and we want this, you know. But if you come with something that defies categorization, it can be, on the one hand, very exciting, but it can also be very frustrating. It's the salespeople who have to explain that to the bookstore, where you see the different categories, categories of yeah. books set up, and you're going to mess with them big time if they can't fit it in a slot. So it can be a little difficult to persuade people, but on the other hand, that's where the excitement comes in. So I'm not sure how to answer you. Oh, yay. <laughs> so I just mentor me. Well, you know, I think, but the other thing is ask yourself, what is the best format for my story? What do I really want to say? Who are my readers? And how are they going to, how is my story best conveyed to them? You know, those kinds of big questions about what your, what your genre is. Are you writing memoir? Are you writing self-help? Are you writing a combination between, of the two? You know, you've got, you've got to figure that out a little bit. Yeah. But we do have McNally Robinson coming tomorrow <coughs> yes, to one of our talks in order to talk about, from the bookseller's point of view, exactly yeah. this question. Exactly. I mean, and one of the things that I, I had this conversation last year, and someone said, well, just be aware of like where you find what you resonate from bookstores. And you know, I love books. So typically, it's in the self-help, spiritual development area, mm -hmm. or memoir close to diaspora stories, right? So those are sort of the areas where it shows up, but thank you. That's focused enough, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Really? I think that's oh, okay. that sounds enough. I mean, I had, I can tell you one. Plus, one memoir sells well, so Colin's memoir. I had one experience that was quite interesting where I had a book that was part memoir and part self-help. And the publishing, my colleagues were saying, oh, some editor's going to push it in one direction or the other. And I said, no. And I marketed it and sold it as half and half. And that tendency only came out when the um, acquisitions editor started her process, and now she's moving it to self-help away from memoir, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you guys want to jump in before we go? So we've got a question there, and then there, and then there, and then there. We do want to make sure everybody has at least uh, one chance to get in there. So do you guys want to? No? Okay. I think it was great advice. I mean, there. you know, it, it, know what you write and know what you read. And you know, if you know, you're going, your voice is probably going to echo, you know, the stuff that you're actually, you know, the, the, what you read, right? So, you know, that's a good way to kind of guide yourself. I mean, even when you're looking for a press, like, what, where do I go ahead and submit my work to? You know, you may have picked up several books by a certain publisher, um, and you, you know, so then it's like, okay, I like what these guys are doing, and so that's a way to kind of guide yourself, even in terms of finding, you know, um, where to go ahead and submit your work. Because they're obviously, you know, uh, resonating with uh, with what you with what you like. Okay, the lady at the end. Um, in 1994, I was able to get some grant from um, Canadian Heritage, and through a school division, we published three books. Um, but it was sort of uh, the school division helped me, and they were printed. They were endorsed by. Federation of Women's Teachers of Ontario, also by BC Teachers, but 
when the teachers ordered the book, somebody in the system said, the book is out of print, and they had boxes and boxes of it. Now, we don't, it's very hard for a minority to fit into the system sort of pool. Then later on, uh, I again uh, published a book with, an, uh, with another artist. I started painting because the writing didn't take me anywhere. So I, and I was good at painting too. And we published a book uh, in the spirit of humanity with the Mennonite Heritage Gallery, which Manitoba, which uh, Winnipeg Foundation uh, funded. And uh, um, it was sent to every school in Manitoba by Manitoba Education. But to approach a publisher sometimes, they're not even willing to talk to me because my accent, because the way I write. Um, That's disappointing. Like everything is so structured that mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. how do we get over it? You're asking me on television. I know. Yes. I mean everything. <laughs> 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 and I'm still working on a project. It has never been that I haven't been writing or I haven't yeah. been, like I'm doing fables and I want to do it in French and English. But I have to go through my little cocoons. Like I can't reach out to anybody, sort of. Everything is so structured and so, like you have to, I don't know. But I don't want to give up. I'm 73 now. Don't, and don't, I'm full no. of life and I, I'll do what I want to do. But how can I approach a publisher? Well, I mean, you know, pers you know being a writer is, is an active perseverance. I mean, no one, it's, there's very, very few people who just simply walk in and just suddenly they're getting signed to like a multi-million dollar contract and, you know, they're being, no, no, I know. But I mean, so I, you know, I'm really disappointed to hear that you've had some, you know, negative experiences with publishers and, you know, right off the bat, I'd say anyone who treats another person like that, they aren't worth having your manuscript with, with, you know, you shouldn't be publishing with them. If they can't respect you, they're not going to respect your work. And so, um, you know, I think it is a matter of trying to find a good fit for yourself, um, trying to um, uh, knowing, you know, knowing what you're writing and knowing what the other publisher, what the publishers you're approaching are publishing. Um, with small presses, you know, we do have small, you know, we have small lists. Um, so, you know, it's we can't always go ahead and publish everyone. I'd love to, but I'd need a lot more money to do that. Um, and with a, a large press like with Random House, I mean, they've got 500 books a year, but <laughs> I'm sure the number of manuscripts you guys reject is like an order of magnitude even higher than that. So, you know, don't give up. Um, and the truth is, I think there is a spot for every single writer out there. Um, you just have to find them, and it, sometimes it's not—it's not in Winnipeg. Sometimes it's not even in Canada. Um, sometimes you have to look farther afield. Um, but there—you know—if you're really driven to, to write and that's your passion, don't give up on it. And uh, you know, you'll you'll find a way to get your stories out there. I wonder if my colleague Zalika, who's next to you, <clears throat> manages the mentoring programs for us, and she. She works a lot with uh, a whole range of kind of independent presses from, um, you know, presses that are devoted to feminist uh, works or like Mowenzi uh, House that's devoted to South Asian writers. Or There's a whole series of different independent publishers across the country. 
Mm -hmm. um, all of whom are listed on the Association of uh, Canadian Book Publishers. But I don't know, Zalik, if you want to have any tips about how to how to source out a fit. I mean, we, we source it out depending on the content of manuscripts, but do you have anything you want to add to? Um, so, I guess my, um, I don't know if I really have any tips about how to source out different publishers. I mean, you can, you can just like Google it and, and things like that. But I guess my question is like, do you send query letters to these publishers? Do you, do you, um, like, do you, do you do things like that? Or, do, or how, what has, what exactly has been your experience? Um, I've tried uh, in the beginning, but then I reached a point that applying itself is so much harder oh, than I understand. I'd rather produce yes. another artwork, another story, right. than to waste my time in chasing people who won't even talk to me. I completely... So I gave up that, and then I'm, I'm producing work. Uh, but, uh, and nowadays you can put, like I have put my art on Facebook. And right. Stuff. I completely understand that. I'm just even as an experience as a writer myself. What I, the reason why I ask about the query letter is because the query letter is super important, and I think that if you do a right query letter, and I guess you guys can speak about what that is, um, to to a publisher like Mwenzi or to a publisher like Anana Press, then then they're going to be interested in in your work. And I completely understand not wanting to apply for like the 75th time to like a different publisher or a different agent because it, it can be disheartening. But um, when, when I work with different um, alumni or different mentees in our program, I really focus on what your sample is, what your query letter is, what your package is to apply because that's, that's what's going to get you the next step. So maybe you guys can talk a little bit about what, what's a good query letter, what's a bad query letter, what's a good sort of submission, what's a bad sort of submission. Can I start off with we, we are, you know, as I've kind of mentioned, we're looking at the process of moving to more of a digital type of system as opposed to people sending in like uh, paper manuscripts. And one of the things that we've done is we've actually converted our, because um, we have an open submission policy, converted our cover letter or query letter basically into a form with the questions we want to have answered. Because we were finding that a lot of the query letters would kind of meander yeah. and not actually tell us what we want. So we want to know, like, you know, um, what is the most compel compelling aspect of your book? You know, give us a real synopsis of it. Um, you know, what makes you, what makes you special? You know, why are, why are you extraordinary? Um, because not only are we selling your book, we're also selling you um, as publishers. You know, you're the ones who have to get out there and go ahead and do readings and talks and become experts. Uh, when you when you are a published author, um, you're treated a little bit differently, and so you know we need to know that you know that you're someone that can go and get up and be that be that face for the book um, as well. So you know we've kind of changed our our process there because the query letters were coming in, um, not giving us that information. It was trying to give us a bit more of a, a used car salesman pitch. Um, and we're, you know, really we just need to kind of get down to business and go, tell me why this book is going to sell. You know, what, what, I believe one of the questions we have is, how, what, how is it like other stuff on our list? Which is a question we asked because we want to know that you actually know, have a clue what Turnstone is. Um, we often get people who've never even read a Turnstone book ever, 
um, submitting to us and expecting us to publish them. And it's like you can tell in the in the query letter that they actually haven't done any homework um, before they submitted their work in. So you know that's that's why a query letter is so important. Mm -hmm. uh, my question is just related to again the what makes you special. So again, how do you? I know that you've already talked about like some tips and ideas about how to stand out. So I think they was talking about um, if you are no a published author to see if they can have a sentence written for you. So if you're going to meet somebody cold, I guess, by just the query letter or um, in written form. So in what other ways, in what very specific ways can you stand out? For me, it's yeah. showing off your writing. If you're a writer, mm -hmm. then your query letter better be, it better be amazing and have a unique voice. I have no typos, obviously, but uh, <laughs> be concise because as a writer, you should be able to do that. So I'd say keep it concise, keep it really show off your style. Yeah, I mean, it, it varies a little bit from fiction to nonfiction. Nonfiction, you are looking for someone who actually has a certain, you know, some, some weight to be able to carry what they're saying in their book. Um, that they, you know, that they're, you know, s there's some type of authority there. Um, in terms of knowing what they're talking about. Um, in terms of fiction and poetry, um, it really comes, you know, a lot of it is just your writing style. Like, you know, show us that you can, you can, uh, you have the skills to, to do what uh, you need to do. What about creative nonfiction or memoir, which is what Linda said? Do you want to know about her personal story as it relates to what she's writing? I think so. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, um, the memoir, if, it, if it's, a memoir, um, we're going to find that out in the writing, you know, um, who you are. Um, but uh, that may only be a certain snapshot. So seeing a larger picture of, uh, of who you are, um, you know, helps go ahead and uh, give us a good, you know, a good idea of how you might fit in um, to the, the broader, you know, scene across Canada. And maybe how, um, how your memoir is the same as memoirs that are doing really well, but also different. So what's mm -hmm. unique about what you're doing? That's exactly what I was going to say. Memoir, for me, requires two things. Extraordinary, raise the hair on the back of my neck yes, writing. Yes, yes. I mean, it has to be out of this world, and the story has to be unique. So if you do have an Alzheimer's memoir, for example, of which there are money, tell me why yours is as good as Liz Hayes, or as good as Kathy Borey's, or as good as, show me that you know the genre, right? You know what else is out there, and tell me how yours relates to that book, which is something that my colleagues have said. Already. We just published a book by Sally Ito called Damper's Orphans, and you know, it's one of the first bit of feedback we got from an early reader was kind of like, I couldn't put it down. And also, you know, I've heard of the story of Japanese internment, but I've never heard the story of repatriation or people being sent back to Japan. So it took a piece of, uh, you know, uh, of history within the idea of memoir and stitched together a number of voices that in a way that really hadn't been told that way before. So that's kind of what led us to the book. And, you know, the reader's response was that tingle on the back of the neck. You know, I, I just can't put it down. And that's what we're looking for. You're right. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what do you do with a story that's a weird length? Like, uh, you've got something that's complete at, like, 11,000 words. Like, can you, can you sell a novelette? Uh, there is will... one imprint in Canada that does that. It's called 
Porto, I believe, and it's out of Montreal, and they do, um, what do they call them? Linda Leaf is also a good oh, one. Yeah. Yeah, they call them, uh, they call them, I think, novellas. Novellas, yeah. yeah. They do have a minimum length for their novellas. I'm not sure it's yeah, 11,000. So I don't have to, like, you should look at the website. But yeah. that's, they're, they're the only two I could think of. Yeah. Linda Leaf Publishing and Porto. Uh, and we'll like, it's very intimidating, right? Like, we'll just throwing throwing something up on Medium and saying, well, it's out there. Is that gonna like hurt my chances of shopping it around somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to answer? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should let length be a barrier, especially with all the formats we're publishing now. It doesn't need to be a full length novel. So, and if an editor reads it and thinks there's potential to build it out, we'll we'll help you with that too. If we're really interested in it. Um, you can test the waters by publishing a couple pages and see how that goes. I wouldn't, yeah, I don't know what your plans were, but I wouldn't release the whole thing. That, that would be, I would, I would always yeah. caution against, um, I think we're driven a little bit quite often to expose our writing everywhere, and you put a lot of effort in it, and so, like, I mean, you know, don't just give it away for free. Um, and in terms of what, you know, we, we publish short fiction um, and, you know, novels. We don't, no, novellas, we get them in. We look at them long and hard, but it's not, some, it's not a genre that, you know, where we found um, particular success. So if we get something that's really strong, we will often look at developing. So it'll be, a, you know, kind of looking to expand it into more of a novel length uh, piece. Um, we've also done that with short fiction, where a short fiction collection has a real, you know, has some, an interesting arc, but it could really be developed into a novel. So, you know, with sometimes with small presses, we might take stuff that's a little bit more development in a, in a developmental stage than perhaps a, a larger press or even uh, some agents, um, just because, uh, you know, we're, I think, in terms of our bottom lines, a little bit, uh, our motivations are a little bit different. Um, and so, you know, we might be willing to go and take a chance on a voice uh, that we see strength with and help develop that voice um, into something, you know, more robust. Okay, so, Gray Hoodie. Yeah, I want to ask a question because I had a client that has a disability. He actually self-published a book at McNally Robinson, 550 pages, eight and a half by 11 book. Oh, that's big. He wrote a sequel to the book, and he wants to get either as a bundle together, and he's not sure the first book was self-published. He wrote a direct sequel to the first book, and I said, well, don't self-publish the second book. Why don't you see if you can get it uh, published by an author somewhere in a strange light might be related to that. But he's, he's struggling with this, what, what, what to do. Did he sell copies of the first book? Yeah, he did about 30 copies. He actually did a launch at McNally Robinson. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so every time he approaches somebody, they said, you're a self-published author. He, he's an advocate for people with disabilities, right? And he's got a disability himself. He's actually got cerebral palsy. He's written nine books and published, self-published one book. I said, wow, you know, nine books. He's written manuscripts. He self-edited his books too. But he's finding the challenge because I said, well, why don't you see if you could get the first book published and then the second book published first time and put together as a bundle because they relate together. With a manuscript that's, you know, 
uh, that's a really big book, right? And so I think probably if that showed up on my desk, I would probably be going, we need to, this needs to be pruned before it comes to me, right? It, need, it needs to go through, like it needs mentorship, right? It needs someone to go ahead and provide guidance and help. Um, at 500, 500 pages, <coughs> eight and a half, 11, there's probably several different stories all floating around in there at the same time. And so that author, in my mind, would probably have to find the, str the strongest voice, the strongest story in there, and try and simplify. And there, you know, with a direct sequel, there may be a possibility, I'm just guessing, um, just that there's lots of possibility with such a lot, big manuscript and a sequel, that they may be able to go and condense it into like a couple of either one smaller story or you know uh, two much smaller stories. In terms of getting, if they were to condense the whole thing down into one smaller story, then there might be possibility with a publisher. You know, um, but I think you know two um, kind of epic um, pieces like that would be really hard for any any publisher to take on. I mean, the printing costs alone would probably you know cripple most of us. So um, it, you know, I think before the person goes to self-publishing anymore, um, I would really you know give them advice to find some uh, some direction and some mentorship to go ahead and. You know, work on those stories and you know really help them focus. Because he wrote the book, it was a fiction-based book, but it's based upon real issue of people with disabilities, mm -hmm. like palsy. So it's kind of a mixture, right? It's classified as a fiction book, but he writes about elements that could happen in the real mm -hmm. world about people being treated badly with disabilities. So like he's an advocate for the SMD. Well, and and you know it is it's it is a you know uh, people with disabilities writing about their stories. Um, I think. One of the beautiful things that's happening in publishing right now is that there's just a blossoming of voices, um, and disability voices are part of that that blossoming. So, I, you know, again, if if uh, the person you're you're you work with is able to kind of find their voice, there you know, there is a market out there. So we talk about sweet spot. So that's one of the industry terms, and sweet spot means a kind of book that has literary qualities but will appeal to people. And let's face it, women buy more books than men buy. And um, so it usually is means something that's focused on women's stories. Is that fair, Deborah? I think that's fair. And um, like for me, the quintessential sweet spot story is that uh, Lovely Bones, Alice Seabold, which is just, you know, it just it's very accessible. But it has literary qualities, meaning that you can read it, it's symbolism, it addresses certain themes. It's not just this happened and then that happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Guernsey, Guernsey potato peel? Oh, yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that Accessible. Good. I love the movie. It's so good. Okay. Um, question I have in regards to uh, creative nonfiction memoir. If you've had pieces published and there are some that you would like to include in your manuscript. Mm -hmm. Is there preferences as to that, whether or not that should be included, or if they are included, how much of the manuscript would be things that have already been published in the banks? Like, what are the thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it depends on whether or not you've signed away the rights to it. Right, so if you ha if you actually own the copyright, it can be helpful. I mean, one of the questions our salespeople ask us is, you know, are there any awards attached to this new book? 
like has a book actually got awards? And so like uh, if someone's won a CBC Literary Award for a short piece of fiction or a poet, a poem, um, or a piece of literary nonfiction that's developed into a larger novel, that's helpful. So it, it doesn't work against you. I think you know um, it's just making sure. This one thing that authors often forget are permissions. Is that if there's stuff in there that you actually have, if it's your work and you've uh, already published somewhere and they've taken the copyright, like say you publish it with the the Globe and Mail or the Free Press, and the contract um, says that it's work for hire, they paid you, now they own it. You can't put that into your manuscript without getting permission from them. And it, you know, authors often forget even you know to go ahead and music lyrics or you know, other pieces of other people's writing, they pepper them in, um, and then they realize, oh, geez, this is very expensive to go ahead and pay to use other people's work in my own, so. When you're publishing a first-time author, what you're thinking about as their potential for two, three, four, 20 books, where, how do you, how do you assess that? Is this a one-off, or is this a, or client work? It's, that great answer, it depends. <laughs> I don't think that there's no one answer to that. There are there are clients whom you sign up who you think, you know what, I don't know if this person has another book in her, but this book is so good. It's publishers who are always interested in what is the next and what is the long-term potential. On the other <laughs> hand, there is no such thing as a house author anymore. In other words, publishers are very reluctant to make um, big commitments to authors. If somebody comes to me and says, I have six book ideas, I also run in the other, I'm get running out of directions to run away from them. I also run in the other direction because publishers do not want to make those kinds of commitments anymore. So if we get a submission for short stories, we love them and uh, we want to know what's next, but we want to see a bit of it too. So we don't want to offer based on nothing. We want to see a proposal of the novel or a couple pages of it. It's just becoming less and less like it, likely versus 10 years ago that we would offer you know, a two to three book deal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we don't offer multi-book deals um, <laughs> with the caveat that our genre fiction, um, if, it's, if it's something that's built up as a series and we, you know, we have the first book and we have a credible synopsis for the second one, we'll sign maximum two books. Um, we are looking always to create relationships with our authors. So if I sign someone to a poetry deal, uh, which doesn't typically have a whole uh, amount of financial reward. I am actually looking to, you know, nosing around saying, do you have a novel? You know, that's kind of our way to kind of build a relationship and to perhaps more lucrative um, book sales for the author, so. Yes, and some of our fiction writers, they actually, our kids' team will poach them too to write a kid's novel, so we do look for synergies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of our esteemed award-winning fiction writers is also writing a cookbook, so there is some uh, King Tui. Oh, so right. there's some, you know, it's not that common, but it happens. So. so please join me in thanking our lovely speakers for But thank you so much for joining us and sharing, uh, sharing your writing. We hope you enjoyed this program. Please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast provider. If you're an emerging writer interested in receiving our open calls for submissions or invites to our events, 
please join our DD newsletter by emailing us at info at with subscribe in the subject line. Thanks so much for listening.